entirely. But at the end, fortuitously, the ship repatriating the inmates of his military prison had also stopped to collect the last of the rounded-up and dispirited soldiers from Rabaul and the coast of New Guinea. Being lost in their mass gave credibility to Aoki's tale about his jungle holdout, and the authorities who took his name when the ship disembarked him were happy to see him as part of the thousands who had surrendered legitimately at the end of things, with the merit of terrible campaigns behind them and under orders. Beside his wife, he was tempted, as liars are, to try to validate the lie with embroidery, but best not to. Deal with his wife now, and that might well be the end of her questions. Yet he was nearly unmanned by pity. It was touching to the point of tears that when she'd been told he was coming home, under advice from a priest, she had dismantled her household memorial shrine to his spirit, and the priest himself had gone to a particular ominous temple to negotiate with the god of death this resurrected soldier's restored existence. And now he could never reveal any hint of the reality of those shadow years, or plead he had done the best, to the point of comedy, to end himself and validate that shrine. He had limped into the enfilading paths of machine guns and failed to be reaped. While steeling himself to be strangled with honour from a tree on a barbarous ridge in a country of absurd people, accident had let him down, and lanky alien soldiers with voices like crows had arrived and retrieved him as if he'd committed a mere misdemeanour. He had stood before a military inquiry that had every reason to demand his life, and it had grotesquely failed to. Those details were not for his kin and not for his wife, now almost unbearable there in her divine shell of satin skin within her swathes of outer silk. No, he told her softly. I was true to my vow. He sounded to himself like a liar. There had, in fact, been a Chinese woman in Rabaul, but that had been more than four years ago. There had been China itself, better forgotten. And yet somehow, and with merciful suddenness, it worked a wonder. She undid a sash and unleashed from her nightdress her breasts. And though he had poisoned the air of the room with his fictions, he could not prevent himself from answering her gesture, from turning his eyes full on her. Within the limits of his everlasting deceit, he answered the unnegotiable kindness of her breasts. Part 1 Spring 1943 Chapter 1 On an unexpectedly warm day in the 2nd October since her husband's capture, 23-year-old Mrs. Alice Herman saw, from the veranda where she sat sewing buttons on one of her father-in-law's shirts, an army truck pull up in the middle of the rutted clay and gravel road outside the Herman's place, three miles west of Gorwell. She believed at first that the truck had simply broken down, but it had a purpose. 
four guards with rifles alighted, and then six of those others, prisoners in their deep red shirts and trousers, were ordered down from the back. They were instantly fascinating with their subtle contours, even in the different way they jumped, stood and moved. They were beings from the other side of the veil of what was understandable. A person at a safe distance couldn't avoid gawping at them. Certainly, the Mussolini-loving Italians from the same Gorwal prisoner-of-war camp weren't as interesting. The Italians were not only more numerous, they were also scattered as labourers on farms all over the place. Duncan Herman, her father-in-law, had applied to a place called the Control Centre to send him one. But Italians surely lacked the novelty value of the Japanese. There were, by contrast, only perhaps a thousand of these oriental exotics over there, three miles off and Gorwal.